It is Thursday, March 3rd. This is Jaguars Happy Hour. And now, the father of journalistic sports writing and the mother of George, John Osher and Ashlyn Sullivan. Welcome in Jaguars Happy Hour. We are live from the NFL Scouting Combine in Indianapolis on Radio Row. It is our fourth day of Jaguars coverage on Jaguars.com. A lot of news coming out on Tuesday. I know you are here till Saturday. And we were just saying when this thing dwindles down, it dwindles down quickly. It's, I mean, that room out there is coming <laughs> out. Yeah. We're the only ones left. Yeah. Our set's the only one left standing over oh, there. you're CBS. You're big time. Yeah, well, and we have to stay till Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, well, let's start with Tuesday. We came here, there was a big Jaguars news. Doug Peterson, Trent Baalke spoke to the media, and we started Tuesday morning with the news that the Jaguars have decided they will not hire an executive vice president. Thoughts? I don't like it. I think they needed to bring a guy above Trent Baalke and, and let him have some input into the way things are run. Uh, maybe not have the final decision-making power, but also be a guy who can add his insight into that. Because where are they now? You have Doug Peterson who's in there, but now you also have the general manager who's the same guy that was the general manager a year ago. And so I think that's part of the problem here. I really do. And I, I, I look, I've made, I haven't shied away from it. I think they needed to make a change at general manager. I'm not as adamant about it as the fans are, mm -hmm. and nor do I think Shad's a clown for not making that move, but they needed to make a move. Just Why didn't they just start all over again? But as it is, now it's all on Trent. And, and Doug Peterson to get along. And I asked, we had Doug on our, our set the other day, and I asked him, I said, you know, there's a, the, the fans wanted him out. There were people that didn't want to come work here with him. What is your relationship with him, and have you paid attention to that? And he said, look, I'm not looking into the rearview mirror. I'm looking forward. So I understand it from his standpoint. I just would have made a change. Pete, I'm not sure you've been on our, uh, I guess the channels is the word you use, right, Shlynn? That's the, nice. that's the word the kids use. <laughs> yeah. um, but I'm not sure we've talked to you much since the Peterson hire. Uh, you obviously know Doug from before. Uh, talk about him. Talk about what he's going to bring. What are your impressions? Well, I think this was a job. And I'm a big Byron Leftwich guy. I love Byron. I, I always have. I've always had a great relationship with him. I don't think this would have been a good job for Byron. I think Byron's going to be a great coach down the road. But this wouldn't have been it. They treated him poorly in Jacksonville. Let's be honest about it. He still had some bad blood about that. And... I think this was a team that needed a guy with skins on the wall. And, and by that, I mean a guy who has the cachet, the, the Super Bowl ring. You can come in there and clean up the mess, and it was a mess that's being left behind. And so I think that's the most important thing. And, and he's a good offensive mind. All you, have to do, all you have to do is look, he won a Super Bowl with Nick Foles. Well, I'm shocked that you went there. <laughs> oh, my God, he won a Super Bowl with Nick Foles. They should put him in, in coaching Hall of Fame just for doing that. How will his, uh, you know, again, you study more – other teams schemes and we get a chance to detail wise how do you expect the offense with Peterson to look how is this going to look uh, explain that to fans in layman's terms well you look it's not going to be the wide zone that everybody you know want uh, which I think is the perfect offense for a lot of quarterbacks you know where you run the wide zone like the 49ers do it makes it so much easier on them the old Kyle Shanahan offense you know we've seen them rush for 300 yards <laughs> once in a playoff game running that offense it yes, just makes it easier on the quarterback. So this is going to be more of a pro style. Like we mm -hmm. take Kansas City. Mm -hmm. It'll be a lot like their offense. You know, the Andy Reid pro style offense, which means it's going to cater to the quarterback. 
And if you looked at what Doug did when he was in Philly, he catered to the quarterback. Carson Wentz was an MVP candidate when he was there. Uh, was probably going to win it had he not got hurt that correct. year. Seventeen. Mm -hmm. Correct. And so it, it's perfect for Trevor Lawrence. It's a quarterback-centric offense. Now, there's always been criticism of this offense that you don't run the ball enough. Mm -hmm. And Andy Reid gets that all the time. He's got it his entire career. Uh, but I think Doug will be more, much more balanced, I think, in that scenario. Yeah, most of the offenses that have had, or most of the times this offense has had a functional quarterback, is performed at a pretty high level. And even with some average play there. And, and by the way, I don't think in this uh, building, if the running back fumbles, that they're going to yank him out for the entire game either. So uh, just, just keep. Oh, just oh keep man. Pounding. Oh, I'm go, pounding. Go. I'm, I'm getting it all out. And then when I come back and do the thing with Baselli in the fall, then we'll get it out even more. <laughs> Gosh. I will say, and this, it sounds cliche, but we've met Doug Peterson now a couple of times. You're like, all right, great guy. But then we followed him around his media tour where you were on CBS, and he was stopped 68 times by people, and everyone's saying, no, nah, he's not a good guy. He's a really good guy. And, again, that can only take you so far. Uh, um, you, but I, I'm all for that. Treat not how you treat your players, but how you treat everybody else in the building. Mm -hmm. If you walk through the building in the morning and you see a person over there who's maybe the cafeteria worker, say, hey, how you doing? Yeah. Having a good day today. Little things like that. Not, or, you know, <laughs> walk by him or whatever. And we've had, we've seen guys who've done that, in, not just in Jacksonville, but everywhere. It just doesn't work. Because I think the bad feel comes in throughout the entire building. Mm -hmm. Now, I'll be honest. Tom Coughlin brought a lot of that into that building when he was first there. And it took a while for him to evolve a little bit. He didn't evolve all the way, but he evolved. He realized you can't be that way. Yeah. And it's the same with, with, you know, Doug's smart enough to realize treat everybody with respect, not just your players. How important is it? And it's pretty self-evident, but my thought is Doug Peterson gets in front of a room of players in March 15th, whenever he talks to him first, April 2nd. The instant credibility combined with the ability to reach, uh, you're not going to have players rolling their eyes at this guy. Not at all, and, and they were and they were rolling their eyes, and they were rolling the their eyes. Right? The last guy, believe right. me, we've heard the stories, many of them, and yeah, he's got he's got the cachet, and if you have the cachet, players are going to pay attention. It's not unlike everybody goes, who's a great leader in the NFL? Why is he a great leader? If you're good, you're a leader. If you're bad, you're not. Everybody, oh, oh well, he's going to be a good leader. Is he any good? I mean, if Tom Brady was a six-round pick, if he wasn't any good, he wouldn't have let anybody. Yeah. He became great, and he let you know you were around Peyton all those years. They follow greatness. And so he's got a Super Bowl ring. They're going to follow him from the start. If he gets another one, they'll follow him everywhere. And it lasts a couple of months until they figure out if he's good or not. Correct. That's how the NFL Yeah, you got to be good. good. Good earns you respect, period. It's easy enough. All right, this room is buzzing the entire week about the number one overall pick. We've talked to a bunch of draft analysts, and everyone, I mean, at first it was Evan Neal. Now we're hearing some different names. What are you thinking? I think it should be Evan Neal. I, did you see him today? He's Big 330 dude. pounds, and he looks like he weighs 170. That tells you what kind of shape he's in, A, and what kind of body he has. He has the capability to get bigger. He reminds me of Tristan Works. And you saw what Tristan Works did you know, as a rookie end last year. He's a dominant player. He's a pro, all pro. And everybody goes, well, what do you do with Walker Little? How about this scenario? You could do this. You play Walker Little at left tackle, you play Taylor at right tackle, and you play Neal at guard. And people say, well, how could you do that? Well, they played Jonathan Ogden at guard in his first year in, in, in Baltimore. And then 
okay, well, the, the next spin it forward scenario is what if Taylor plays great, maybe almost at a Pro Bowl level, then you got a pleasant problem on your hands. Mm -hmm. So that's what I would do. I would draft the offensive lineman. Would you be ballistic or just in disagreement if they went with Aiden Hutchinson? Oh, I wouldn't. No, I, I wouldn't. It wouldn't be that much. Because it's close. It's not a no-brainer no, decision. No, point. absolutely not. You can never go wrong getting another pass rusher. Mm -hmm. I mean, I really believe that. I just think my concern with Hutchinson is he's so good right now with his hands. He's so good with all the moves that he's got a big edge up on the tackles in the college game. But when you get to the NFL game, those guys all have long arms. They can keep you at bay. So you got to, you know, work on other things. And I'm wondering if his ceiling might be the 10 sack a year guy mm -hmm. and not the Bosa's. Because I, I don't think he's a Bosa. Right. I don't think he's Nick Bosa. I don't think he's Joey Bosa. I just, you know, because he kind of came out of nowhere. And, and these kids have been those prodigies for a long time. So is he just, what is he? That's my concern. If he could continue to get better and better, then it's a great pick. But there's still some questions about where his ceiling is, for me, anyways. And that's kind of the dilemma of this draft is everybody you bring up at one, there's a relatively big yeah but involved, mm -hmm. even with Evan Neal. You know, he, not necessarily an absolute plug-and-play left tackle. A, well, he would be. I think he would be. But if you drafted Walker Little where you drafted him last year, what do you do with him? Right. Yeah. And they, I mean, what you saw from Walker Little in the last week of the season, that was – if you, he can play like that all the time, that's a legitimate starting left tackle mm -hmm. in this league. So I just think it's a pleasant problem to have. You can Haven't we seen over the course of the last two Super Bowls the team that doesn't have the offensive line doesn't win? The, the Bengals were a disaster because their line was a disaster. The, and they almost won the game anyways. The, the, the year before, the Chiefs couldn't block the Bucs, and they were a disaster. Mm -hmm. So you've got to be able to block in this league. An offensive line play is so bad. If you have Trevor Lawrence, get better up front. Mm -hmm. So in this situation... You're saying let Cam Robinson walk. Don't bring him back. I'm walking him. Yeah. I'm walking him. I'm, I'll, I'll let him walk. Play little, Neil and Taylor. And if Taylor doesn't want to, if Taylor doesn't work out, you move Neil out and you play the two two young kids at tackle. And the fascinating thing, Pete, I've been saying this for the last month. What you said makes sense, and yet keeping Cam, putting Little on the left side and or on the right side, and uh, drafting Hutchinson is not a terrible argument it's either. It's not. So it. It's a very, to me, figuring out the Jaguars' offensive line in the draft right now is as tricky a puzzle as maybe I've ever seen for a team going into okay, this. Okay, you're it, keeping I'm Robinson how? How that? are you keeping him? On a tag? Uh, it's a pricey tag. Is it, though? 16-5? Uh, is he a happy guy if you tag him again? Probably not. Well. I could figure out a way to get happy for 16-5. <laughs> well, you could. <laughs> but... I mean, is he one of those guys right. that would be okay with that? He seemed uh, – I didn't get the impression of misery from him last year at 14. Mm -hmm. so, but but all of a sudden he, you're in the back of his injured, mind. six year now. Right. right. In the back of his mind he's thinking, okay, I'll play on 14. Prove it again. I got to right. yeah, play on 14 and then I'm going to go get my big money contract next year. Yeah. You wouldn't give him the big money contract, would you? <sighs> Because of this, I'd have to think about it. Because right now, the Jaguars don't have enough really good players. If you keep Cam and you draft, say, Hutchinson, mm -hmm. you've added a good player. If you let Cam go, you've let one more good player out of your building 
on a team that doesn't have that many. So that would be the philosophy behind it. You I, could also, I get your point, but I also get this You could here. also draft Cam. I mean, you could It'd also- be hard to draft Cam. Sign, I mean, sign Cam. <laughs> That'd be illegal. Yeah, sign Cam <laughs> and draft Neil, and then you have four big giant bodies to move around on the right. offensive line, it, it, yeah. with Shatley as the center. The idea, uh, there's, when Doug Peterson and uh, Trent Baalke talked on Tuesday, mm -hmm. They both talked pretty extensively about we need to keep our own guys. That just triggered me to think maybe that's the way they're thinking is we need to keep guys in the building and add to what we have rather than switching positions out. I don't that know. Could me just me, that could very well be me misreading what they said. If there that was stuck a, in my mind. If there was a real dominant plug-and-play pass rusher, then I would say yes for sure, but I don't know if there is. In fact, there's some guys, and I'm I, I think the other guy that rushes the passer at Michigan, Ojabo, might end up being right. as good if he is. Okay, let's put it this way: at, at Michigan, Hutchinson was better, but Ojabo just came to the football a couple years ago. And yeah, there's he, a lot of people who think he'll be he'll wind up being better. He might said. be better. Mm -hmm. So if you're telling yourself that you're drafting a guy that somebody who was the second on the team to him in college is going to be better than which is a possibility, then are you drafting the right guy? Yep. I mean, Hutchinson, I think, is going to be a really good football player. I just don't know if he's going to be, if he's, somebody said Ryan Kerrigan. It was a good player. Who's, who you're ecstatic with at 15, or are you ecstatic with him at one? Correct. Yeah. Whereas if you draft Neil at one, he's the plug and play for the rest of his career. I don't think he's going to have any problems at all playing. You know, some people have the North Carolina State kid. The other tackle, yeah. And I think Neil's better. I think he's the he's the guy. Before we let you out of here, you talk to far more people around the league. One of the most tight end uh, writers around. We're not a writer anymore. You haven't no, written in no, like no, eight no, years. No, no, right. But it, it's a uh, guy. Um, what's the buzz among good football people you talk to about Trevor Lawrence after the rookie year? That you can't judge him on what happened last year. You just can't. It's not fair to the kid to judge him on that. And. And I, I'm, I'm with them 100%. He had no speed. The offensive line was a problem. He was a bad staff. Uh, how the heck were you going to do that? So I'm not judging him based on last year. You want to judge him? Judge him based on how he went through all that misery and played so well against the Colts at the end of the year. And I think, you know, that's the most important thing. Does it matter to you? Because we made a big deal out of it because it was a positive and I liked what I saw. But the fact that he never seemed to wilt mentally. And I get the press conferences. You can't always tell from that. But there is something you can tell from that, from how a kid is standing up, how he's not changing. As impressive on that front as I've ever seen, maybe. Uh, does that matter to you? Yes, pro's pro. Yeah. Didn't wilt. It could have wilted, could have yeah. complained, could have done a lot of stuff. He never did any of it. So yes, absolutely. I, I, look, I thought he would be a star when he came into the league. I'm still thinking he's going to be a star. Now tell me about uh, your interaction with him at the Super Bowl. I love this story. You already told me, but tell. Yeah, uh, we had him on this Zoom, is a good and I had story. no. It's good. I we had had him on Zoom, and I had never, real, unbeknownst to many, but I hadn't talked to him because when I came to camp, I didn't talk to him, and I had him on Zoom, and he he could I could he I couldn't hear him, and he could hear me. Okay. And so we had to wait. We were getting a little thing, and he's playing with his hair. This is the beginning of the thing. He's playing with That's his, his hair. That's his go-to. Yeah. Yeah. And conference. so I go, yeah, I know. I got the same problem there, Trevor. He busted out laughing. You're so a as joke, we go sir. through the we go through the interview, and I said, look, Trevor. I really hope you play so well, really well, to the point where, but you know, you're a star. But don't play that well because I'm the mayor of Jacksonville and you're never going to be. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> Which and 
what a great kid he is. Awesome. And that, pro's pro. Yeah. For him to laugh at the the pro's pro yeah. part is uh, significant. And uh, well, I, kinda I am, agree with you. You know, I kind of Oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. Okay. And at least I'm one glad person you told him because <laughs> he should know. Yeah. And with that, Jacksonville Mayor, enjoy the rest of the week. Thanks. You're healed till Saturday. Yep. Tune into CBS Sports to watch the Jacksonville Mayor. We'll be back on Jaguars Happy Hour. Welcome back, Jaguars Happy Hour. We are live from the Scouting Combine, live from Radio Row. We just had Pete Prisco. Matt Miller from ESPN will be joining us shortly. For now, it's John Osier and I. It's us. It is. And your dog on your phone just popped up. Yes, so. I have been FaceTiming and security cameraing my dog all week. We're going home tomorrow, so don't worry. We're getting back to him soon. Is George excited? Or is he Obviously. Be excited yet? No, he's very excited, okay, I deal. asked. Okay, so here's the deal, and it's kind of crazy to think about this. Cam Robinson could completely define how the draft stands, not just for the Jaguars, for all other teams. I was talking to NFL Network's analysts about this today, and they're like, yeah, like that's not underrated. Whatever happens with Cam Robinson determines what the Jaguars will pick, determines second, third, fourth, fifth of all of these NFL teams. Yeah. No pressure, Cam Robinson. A and in turn, it determines how the Jaguars will shape their own offensive line. It could also determine whether or not they have somebody to package with Josh Allen or not, mm -hmm. because if they pick Evan Neal, then all of a sudden they can't pick the potentially elite pass rushing on the other side. Right. So it affects a lot of dominoes. And again, that's why not, you know, Trent Baalke pulling me aside and whispering what's going to happen, it's just sort of reading tea leaves, listening. You just wonder if the move isn't to retain Cam, uh -huh. who they know can play in the NFL, know can do it, keep a good player or potentially a very good player, and then add a pass rusher to it, therefore having more good pieces in that front nine, if you will. Uh, that feels to me like a team that needs talent, a route they might go. We'll see. And uh, Matt Miller coming in here now. Matt Miller will definitely know the answer to this. Hello, Matt. How oh, are you? I know it, right? Okay. I hope you know the answer. Let's see. What do we got? Matt, right. good to see you. Yes, good to see you. Thank you for joining us. Congrats on your contract extension. What Thank a you. week for you. Free agency has already started for me, right? <laughs> right. So it's good. It's a good time. So Matt Miller on ESPN, a big-time draft analyst. We were just talking about the number one overall pick, and do you go defensive end? Do you go offensive line? And everyone we talk to kind of has differing opinions, which is a good thing to have. Yeah, it's a good thing. I think it also speaks to the way that this draft class is stacked, right, where there's not that consensus number one player like last year when you guys got the best quarterback obvious. prospect in a long time. <laughs> uh, so I, I default toward the idea of protecting Trevor Lawrence. Obviously, Cam Robinson's a free agent. I do like Walker Little, who they drafted in the second round out of Stanford last year. But I think when you have an opportunity to get an elite left tackle, you have to do that to protect your young quarterback. You know, I, I was on with the team earlier today and mentioned to them, that's really what, that's been the model. You know, Buffalo bought an offensive line for Josh Allen. Kansas City went all in last year for Patrick Mahomes to have an offensive line. And, and we saw, I think, in the Super Bowl how important that is with Andrew Whitworth's great play and the Bengals' struggles up front. So I would trend more in that direction. Pass rusher is very important. I think a left tackle for a young quarterback is paramount, though. Is Neil elite? Is he that much better than the others in sort of that group that's at the top, in your opinion? I think a lot of that's going to get figured out, you know, over the next couple of days, not to hedge on that. I, no, I don't think he's head and shoulders above everyone else. You know, not to keep throwing it back to last year, but last year Trevor was head and shoulders above anyone else at the position, right? So I think Evan Neal, uh, Iki Iquanu, they're very much still, I think, in competition 
for who's going to be the first pick. And, and those opinions are going to vary. I think you talk to some scheme, teams, their scheme is going to prefer Evan Neal. Uh, I think Equanu's arm length is going to be an interesting measurement when it comes in tomorrow. Some a lot of people will be watching. But uh, for, for myself and my own rankings, I have those two players right there together. And, and I'm still you know waiting for those intangibles to try to figure out what separates them. Is this as wide open as you remember? Or is it just a case where it's always going to be wide open if there's not sort of that quarterback fever at the top? It's the most wide open draft that I think I've ever covered. I've been doing this professionally for a long time, 12, 12 years, I think. So, right. um, you know, I think even like Miles Garrett 2017, you know, there were quarterbacks in that draft, but we, we knew it was going to be him still. Mm -hmm. So I think this is the probably the most wide open in that case of a team that at the top that has a couple needs, right? You've got a new structure in place with a new head coach that's going to have a lot of say in, in what happens. So I, I think that all adds to it. And, and it does speak to the, I think lack of elite talent at the top of the draft as well to where there's not that surefire player. We always talk about with the Jaguars, especially this past season, everyone talks about the need for speed and you got to get it quick. Mm -hmm. With the Jaguars then sitting at 33, it seems like, all right, the elite wide receivers might be gone by then. Do you use some capital to trade up? Maybe try to get one of those guys? Yeah, I wouldn't be against it at all. And I think the good news is you're getting Travis Etienne back next year. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how Doug Peterson wants to use him. You know, after after last year, there being some conversation about him doing different things. But I, I do think that using some capital to go get an elite receiver, and, and there are five or six first-round receivers in this class, but they might all be top 20 picks. You know, a couple of them, Jamison Williams, tears his ACL in the national championship game, but he's weeks ahead in his recovery. You know, he, he's not going to miss much time. Uh, his teammate, John Mechie, tears his ACL in the SEC championship game. Uh, he's saying that he's close to, to ready already. So uh, I do think that if, if someone starts to slip, there, there could be a good opportunity to move up five picks, six picks, and make sure you're getting, you know, that, that and as much as Trevor needs a left tackle, he needs a number one receiver as well, yeah. right? So making sure that, that he leaves this draft knowing, okay, my backside's protected and I have a best friend at wide receiver to throw to. Yeah. The consensus uh, seems to be a, a okay to good draft at the top. Mm -hmm. but that it stays pretty good for a long time in this draft. Is that the way you see it as well? Absolutely. I don't think I've ever seen this type of, like, we call it flat, right? So the difference between the number four overall player and the number 20 overall player, it's not that big, right? I think that a lot of people are down on the draft because there's not the quarterbacks. Like, we saw five in the top 15 last year. But I think if you need a tackle, a receiver, an edge rusher, corner line like it's so deep at those positions where you are in rounds two and three still looking at players like gosh these guys are starters you know I did a I did a mock draft exercise I didn't even publish it just did a mock draft to see kind of how things fell out and I was in round three and was like there's no way this player should still be on the board like what where did I mess up but it's like no the draft is just that deep that guys who could be ranked in the 50s could be there in round three just because teams are, are drafting for need or, or guys are, are slipping through the cracks a little bit that's always interesting to me. How many mock drafts do you do? Oh, a lot, a lot. If it, you know, now, thankfully, I, I love my new employers. We don't have to do as many, right? But there's an insatiable need for it or thirst for it. You know, I, we could put one out every day and, and fans would love it. And there's so many different scenarios that you can run through that I think that, that makes it interesting. You know, if, if Jacksonville takes Aiden Hutchinson, it changes everything. Yeah. It, or if they take Evan Neal, what, is that, what does that do? So I think that's what makes it fun. You know, I love that part of this job. That was fell in love with it as a, a young child doing mock drafts in my parents house you know so I still I still love doing that and I think that that is what makes it fun is the hope of this one pick could change our franchise but then also okay how do we put this puzzle together that is a 53-man roster how concerned were the parents when <laughs> very 
when they Very. caught this trend. Because my right. parents got concerned when I was doing stats all the time as a kid. So that's how they knew I was. This, we're, we're going off topic failure. here. This is a true story. I almost uh, got kicked out of high school. I was a good kid, it right? Was, I almost got kicked out of high school because I was skipping school to play Madden so much. Okay. My parents didn't know. So right. they were like, you missed 20 days this semester. What are you, like, does he have the flu or what's happening? I was, no, I was just addicted to playing Madden and making mock drafts. So it worked out, mom and dad. Like, I'm, yeah, I'm on TV now. now. It worked out. But Thanks, mom. There was, there was a time I, I think they probably wondered what I was doing. Matt, on a, on a football <laughs> sort of we'll question. We'll bring it back to it, that, well, yeah. And it's been fascinating. As I've tried in the last couple of weeks to sort of get up to speed with the draft, it strikes you that there may be a better chance this year. I don't think it'll happen, but there's more discussion of, say, Kyle Hamilton, maybe at number one. I, I, I doubt it'll happen, but that'd be an unusual position, but not a complete shock considering the draft's wide open. Yeah. You also are hearing more talk about linebacker, again, becoming an elite position. Are we seeing any sort of a change in a trend along those lines of how teams are viewing certain positions in terms of draft uh, value? I think so. Uh, I think we can look at last year, Kyle Pitts being a tight end, being drafted in the top five. That almost never happens. Yeah. TJ Hawkinson, you know, several years before that was a, a great player as well. But I think with Kyle Pitts, Kyle Hamilton's a very good comparison to that of you're not truly just a position. You're not just a safety. You're not just a linebacker. You are a defensive weapon or a defensive playmaker. And, you know, we can deploy you in all these different ways to match up against tight ends or big receivers or to spy mobile quarterbacks. So I think that's what makes Kyle Hamilton arguably the best player in this class. He's a high IQ, highly productive, multi-year starter, who is also somewhat of an anomaly from his athletic gift standpoint at six foot four, 220. Um, so I do think that there is a solid argument for, I was asked just a little bit ago, if you could pick one player in this class to be a Hall of Famer, who would it be? And I say Kyle Hamilton, right? Wow. Because he is just that unique of a skill set that, yes, you could argue positional value is not great, but in a draft that lacks that elite player mm -hmm. at the high positions of value, maybe you just go with the best football player sometimes. Yeah, and obviously, I mean, for the Jaguars as well. So you right. can make a case for it. We asked this this week because I feel like in Jacksonville every offseason we have this hope and this optimism and you almost get in this hole of just hoping and, and wishing for positivity. Deep hole. Yeah, deep hole. <laughs> <laughs> for a national outlook, ESPN obviously, where are the Jaguars right now? Where do you see them? Um, an unknown. You know, but the Bengals two years ago were we made fun of the Bengals two years ago because they only have like seven scouts, you know, and it was like, what are the what is what this team doing? doing yeah. Right. And even, you know, when they took Jamar Chase, people scoffed at that of what, what are you doing taking a receiver? Well, they were in the Super Bowl after having the number one pick two years before. So I think for Jags fans, there is a model that you can be excited about of you can turn this around very quickly, you know, if you get things right. And I think that's where the Bengals drafted so well, not just in round one, but in round two. You're getting Jesse Bates in round three, getting Logan Wilson. It's not just hitting in, in round one, it's hitting in rounds two and three and, and getting starters out of that group. So I think that's where you know Trent and, and Doug Peterson have to be smart about. It's not just about pick one, it's not just about pick 33. We gotta make sure that we get 65 right. And you gotta make sure you get you know subs, subsequent rounds. You have to be pulling starters. You talk to draft people all over the league and inside the league, inside buildings. Um, I'm curious if you think, had there been a number, a, a true elite receiver, had there been a Jamar Chase level wide receiver in this draft, which I guess the consensus is there's not. Yeah. But considering the way the league's going and his success, could we see in the next 10 years a wide receiver again go one? Keyshawn did in 96 yeah. last time. Possibly. I think it would take someone who is, you know, a Julio Jones type, Calvin Johnson type, 
you're going to need to be you know six four running a four three. But it is possible. I think one thing that that would hurt that argument would be that we're seeing so many receivers come out of round two that are successful. AJ Brown and DK Metcalf, you know, out of round two have been great players. Um, even in Cincinnati, you know, Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins are very good players. So I think that is one area where, at the receiver position, much like a corner right now, are you better off drafting one early or are you better off drafting a couple late who are standout athletes like a Tyreek Hill uh, that you can maybe mold and develop a little bit? Are teams at all shying away? From, or not shine because you need defensive players, but devaluing it a little bit because of a thought of, hey, if you don't score in this league, you don't win. I definitely think so. And I do think that's why this year might be an outlier in that case because of the way the draft talent is stacked. But I do think that there is much more of an emphasis on getting playmakers, building offensive lines, and, and going more of those positions. Obviously, corner and pass rusher are always going to be early picks, mm -hmm. but I think for you know, D tackles, linebackers, I do think that position starting to slide a little bit. Yes, points are fun, and the Jaguars it need more of them. It is more fun, yes. yes. absolutely. Matt Miller, thank you for your time. Thank you guys so we much. Fantastic, Matt. Thank you. thank you. Still to come on Jaguars Happy Hour, John Ogier and I break down the draft coming up shortly. Stay with us. Welcome back to Jaguars Happy Hour. We are live from the Scouting Combine, live from Indy, live from Radio Road. This is day four of Jaguars.com coverage. Much more to come the rest of the week. We will be heading out tomorrow morning. You leaving this afternoon? I'm leaving as soon as we get out of here. Yes, yeah, it's so. been a long week. It's definitely, it dwindles quickly after Wednesday, that's for sure. And it's crazy to think that free agency is in two weeks. We spoke to Trent Balky on Tuesday. We kind of asked his mindset of free agency. He said, we have the money. We're going to spend it. We're going to be aggressive. Yeah, and I think it's important to note that every time he said aggressive and uh, Doug Peterson sat in that chair right there, Shalane. He did. And said the same thing, aggressive. But then seconds later, they both said, you have to be aggressive within a plan and you have to make sure you're going after the right player. So um, I do think you're going to see the Jaguars very much in on much more high, pro high profile home run guys mm -hmm than you saw last year. I don't think you're going to see fans as upset at what they perceive as inactivity on those first couple of days. Um, I hope that they don't go overboard with it. Yeah. I hope that they don't spend for the sake of spending. I don't think they will. Um, I think Trent's point that he was making with, you have to make sure that the guys you pay are worthwhile, mm -hmm. not only for on the field, but for in the locker room, for yeah. what you were trying to build here. Um, this is not a case where you're trying to add one piece to get to a Super Bowl. Um, you know, newsflash, I think the Jaguars might have a year before they're at that point. They just might. So you're still very much in a build. With that being kept in mind, you want to make sure that you have team and locker room and everybody buying into what's going on as much as you can. So you've got to make sure that the guys you are paying are good fits and at least feel like two or three year foundation pieces rather than just, hey, we're adding a piece to the puzzle here. Yeah, it was interesting when we asked Trent Balky right after he said, yes, we want to be aggressive. He also said players in the locker room know when a free agent is worth paying. And that was really interesting because you always hear fans and, and us a lot of times say, oh, just pay him. You have the money. Right. Well, go hit the home run and pay him. He said, yeah, well, players in the locker room turn on the film and they know if he's worth all that money. And not to mention they're going to compare. He got that contract. Mm -hmm. He's playing this level. 
I'm here playing this level. And you have to balance it. You, you have to be aggressive, and if you're going to be in free agency, being aggressive means by definition overpaying. Yeah. You're always going to be signing a check where you think, well, it's more than I wanted to pay for that guy, because that's the reality, not just in Jacksonville, but everywhere. Yeah. You're going to pay, you're going to overpay for a fifth year guy that you consider close to elite, because there's only so many of those available in free agency, so the, the supply and demand equation demands that he gets overpaid. But you have to balance that with the idea of what uh, Trent Baalke also talked about this week. You cannot build a competitive roster continuously paying $11 million for yep. a $3 million player. And he used that ex as exact numbers, but his point was if you do that three or four times, you are automatically taking away assets that you should be using for other mm -hmm. areas of your team and overpaying for an area that you're not getting production from. That takes two pieces away, and over time you're going to be a dysfunctional franchise with yeah. a very bad roster. Fans out there are saying, well, the Jaguars have been that. Well, true, but you still can't overdo that or you will never get to where you want to go. Yeah, and just because you have all this cap space, I get it doesn't mean, okay, well, let's just, just spend it all over the place and then we'll be in a bad place in three years. That's right. not how it works. That said, I d it, it, it does sound as if from what they were talking about this week, from piecing different places together. Trent Baalke and Peterson both on the podium, both talking to local media, both talking to us. It certainly sounds like, at wide receiver especially, they realize that is a position where we have to get better, we have to get experienced better, and we have to get rookie build guy better. Mm -hmm. Would not surprise me at all, huge free agent signing, plus number 33 overall in the draft. Yep, totally to try agree. to get that spot to a point where you can add it to some serviceable players on the roster, some productive players on the roster, not have the guys on the roster have to be stars, yeah. have them be part of a good wide receiver package. That seems to be the goal of this mm -hmm. regime right now. Yeah, we asked Trent Balky the need for speed. Where do you get it? Need for speed's my thing that this is, week. That is, I've said that like 12 mm, times, yeah. need for speed. And we asked, okay, do you get it in free agency? Do you get it in draft? And he looks at us, matter of factly, and goes, both. Right. So tonight, the wide receivers are working out the first for the on-field. So tonight's a big night for Trent Balky and the scouting staff because, yeah, 33 just, it makes all the sense in the world. It is. And I really think we missed out on the potential for a fascinating, what is it now, March 3rd, couple of months leading to the draft. Had there been elite wide receiver yeah. guy Added in to the this mix. draft? I just asked Matt Miller, and he sort of, you know, didn't really go there that it could have happened this year. Had had Jamar Chase or that level mm -hmm. of kid be available in this draft with the Jaguars sitting there with that need, um, I don't know that they would have done it, but it would have been fascinating to find out how close they came to it because this feels like a year where that could have happened. I, I completely agree with, with Matt Miller. For the most part, your positional value most years you're either still going to have quarterback, tackle, or pass rusher, mm -hmm. probably be the number one overall pick in the draft. Yeah. This felt like a year where had there been an elite Julio Jones, Jamar Chase type guy coming out, you just wonder how tempted the Jaguars might have been. Yeah, or even crazy to think if this is, in, if this is last year and Kyle Pitts is there and you mm -hmm. need a tight end so bad, do you even reach for that? Which is crazy to think that a tight end could go one, but man, you need it <laughs> yeah. if it's there. If Kyle Pitts was in this draft, um, I'd be getting a lot of ozone questions about it. Yes, you, you would. I'm not sure how I'd answer. Yes, absolutely. We have much more to come on Jaguars Happy Hour. Stay with us. Much more draft talk, much more combine talk coming up. Stay with us.
Welcome back, Jaguars Happy Hour. John Osier and Ashlyn Sullivan here live in Indianapolis, live at Radio Row, our last day of live coverage here from the Indianapolis Scouting Combine and major news today regarding COVID. And oh my gosh, we have made it. For two years, there have been strict protocols and tiers and testing and tracking devices in separate hallways. And now today, they cleared the protocols. We've been waiting for this, Dave. They really have. It, it's affected us, Shlynn, you know, take people behind the scenes, there's been certain things we haven't been able to do. There's been certain interviews we haven't been able to, uh, to get. Uh, your famous walk-offs. Those are haven't famous. Haven't been able to get as many. Can't as Can't walk, can't, can't be next one. Yeah. As you'd like. So that will come back. More pertinent to football operations is, is the players, I think, will have a, a, a chance to get back to normal in terms of their routine, mm -hmm. in terms of not having to test. And, and I think that will create more of a chance for team, more togetherness, more camaraderie, less separation in the locker room. Yeah. For the players, I, th I think they will look forward to getting back to what they, I guess the football environment that they all grew up with. Yeah. You know, to be in the locker room, uh, be on the team bus, not separated, all those things that they grew up around, they will be able to get back to. And it will just make organizationally it much easier to function in the NFL. More bonding. Gotta love bonding, that. Yeah. Yes. Bonding's awesome. <laughs> speaking of bonding, kind of speaking, NFL Combine. So today is tonight is on field workouts, but the Jaguars have been going through formal interviews this entire week. Those started Tuesday and they will interview 45 prospects for 15 minutes each. And we sat down with head coach Doug Peterson about this process. This is now his 13th year at the NFL Combine, and he said he gets so much out of the formal interview process. The coolest part about it, Johnny, you'll be able to watch this interview soon on Jaguars.com, is he talked about the skill positions and what they use the whiteboard for it in that portion, and quarterbacks and wide receivers drawing up plays. And you could just see the football IQ was really starting to go mm -hmm. when you asked him about that. And a guy with so much experience to have him in your room doing that is crucial. Yeah, and they get a chance I doubt that they make their final decision based on that. But it's certainly, when they put these guys on the board and they start talking X's and O's with them, it gives them an idea of their personality type. And I'm not sure if it was uh, Doug or Trent, uh, may have been Doug said on our air this week, um, it, it gives you a chance to see how they function in the workday under pressure. Mm -hmm. And that's what the combine can give them. Not necessarily anything specific out of an interview, but if, if you give a kid, hey, what would you do in this situation? Here's our scheme. What would you expect out of this? It, it gives them a chance to see how they react. Uh, when I covered Tony Dungy in Indianapolis, he used to talk about he would come to the combine, and as much as he would get something out of the interview process, his thing was, you know, some of those answers are very canned. Yeah. So what he would do often is go and watch guys during their drills when they didn't know they were being watched, how they behaved around other uh, other prospects in their group, mm -hmm. whether they were naturally the leader, whether they were reserved. And he said, you didn't make decisions based on it, but you know, coaches have never seen and been around these guys before. So they're just looking for something to give them an idea. What is this guy gonna be like once he's in our building? Mm -hmm. What am I dealing with? Can he function with the rest of the people? Is it gonna be a problem? probably doesn't make your decision number one 
But when you're in the third round yeah. and you're wondering about Deciding a guy between two. and you've got five guys on the board, at some point it becomes a gut feeling where somebody says, you know what, all five of those guys are fine. I had a good vibe about this kid. Yeah, absolutely. Somewhere as a human being, that comes into play. Yeah, and it's it's funny we were talking about, and in some ways everyone can relate to this process. It, it's it's a job interview, and granted, it's much more pressurized than a normal job interview because it's only 15 minutes long in front of 32 NFL teams. But that's what he said. You know, it's a formal job interview, and NFL Sundays are an incredibly high-pressured situation. So this is the way it has to be. Mm-hmm. It has to be pressurized, and we have to be tough on them because. If they can't handle it now, they can't handle it on Sunday. And 15 minutes doesn't sound like a lot. But when you start doing the math for every team. Yeah, it's a long time. With the head coach having to be in there 45 times for 15 minutes. I'm not very good at math, but that's, that's a lot a more lot. than 15 minutes. Yep. Um, the same thing with the prospect. The prospect, 15 minutes times, say, the interview with 12 teams. Well, that's four hours if, if it's all back-to-back. By that 11th one, you're hearing the same questions and you're a little dazed. Most teams, again, as Trent Baalke said on air this week, this is a piece of the puzzle. You don't necessarily blow your chance at being drafted if you have one bad interview. Right. But I think teams do look at a guy who can have a good interview on his 11th. Okay, this kid maybe has a little more mental stamina. This kid is, you know, by the 11th interview, all your prepared answers are kind of gone. Mm-hmm. So maybe a little bit more of yourself is showing through. It's all part of that overall mosaic impression you have of a kid. So it's always important to remember the combine, as Trent Balk said this week, most general managers have ever been around have said it, a piece of the puzzle, but it's, it, it's their first and sometimes only chance to have the personality piece of the puzzle yeah. as opposed to film, numbers. Uh, it's, it's an alive piece rather than a computerized piece. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was really interesting because I think the perspective from fans and truthfully me before I've covered this a couple of years is is you come here and you think, okay, they saw all these prospects. Now their draft board's going to completely change. They're going to fly back to Jacksonville. They're going to tear it all up. And Trent Baalke was saying, not necessarily. It basically says, okay, if we miss this and this prospect ran a great 40 time, how did we miss that? And you go back and watch the film. It, it was just interesting that right. it's not near as dramatic as you once thought. Yeah, Bill Polian, who I worked with for 10 years in Indy, used to talk about it in exactly the same verbiage that uh, Trent used. It's a flag, if you will. Yeah. You've got your board. You've got your rankings. You've got what you think. So you kind of, every part of the draft process is, okay, that's there. Okay, now he went to his pro day. Does it line up with what we thought? Yes, it confirms everything. We've interviewed the kid. Yes, it confirms everything. You go to the combine. Hey, he ran two-tenths of a second faster than we thought he was going to. Okay, well, let's go back. Let's do the homework. Let's make sure we didn't miss. Let's call his college coach. Mm-hmm. Let's call somebody and make sure, can this kid run? Let's go back. Or is he just, as Trent said the other day, is he just a good tester? It gives them a reason to go back and do some extra work and make sure they're not missing anything. It's part of the process, but in no way, again, there will be new mock drafts next week. Yes. There will be people talking about, right, this guy's stock is rising. That's the great word. The, the, the stock is rising. Trendy word around here. That's, that's great for fans, observers, and mock drafters. It's not really the reality of how draft rooms work. Mm-hmm. Closing minutes here of Jaguars Happy Hour. It is going to be a very busy next two weeks. It seems like the Jaguars off-seasons have always been full of storylines lately. But these next two weeks – Kind of underrated how much will be decided in these next two Mm -hmm. weeks. We're getting a lot of questions 
about wide receiver DJ Chark. Do they franchise tag him? Do they bring him back? Are they going to let him test free agency? We see so many scenarios playing out, and you'd love for DJ to come back because he's an awesome player mm -hmm. to cover. But the more I hear around here, it might not be the case. Yeah, it's it. It's tough, and it is. you know, I would love for DJ Chark to come back. Mm -hmm. I love him as a person. I personally think that what we've seen of him over four years, it feels to me like he's a guy who is going to have a better year five through eight of his career than he had a year one through four. Um, he made the Pro Bowl in, I guess it was 19. Mm -hmm. And to me, even the Pro Bowl year just scratched the surface. But I also get if the Jaguars take the route of, you know what, we just haven't seen enough, we have to go in a different direction, which again, I don't know if they're gonna do that, that's one of the options. If they do that, fans are going to wonder why. But the reality is he has not shown on a consistent basis and done it, and he's had four years to do it. Yeah. So you understand why somebody would say, we just haven't seen it yet. So that's a direction that I'm, I'm not sure which way they're going to go. I think people who are maybe tuning in now, watch the top of the show, the conversation we had with Pete Prisco about offensive line. They can go a lot of different ways on offensive line coming up, and it is not a clear-cut dilemma over whether you keep Fran, you keep Cam Robinson, you draft a tackle in that spot, mm -hmm. and there's a domino effect there. It's fascinating. It is. How the negotiations go with Cam is going to shape a lot of this draft for other teams, as we mentioned, mm -hmm. and for the Jaguars. And it's uh, the reactions to what happens, Ashlyn, will be very, how in the world could they do that? Yep. The reality is with both of those players, there are arguments to be made on both sides. It's what makes it so fascinating to me. It is because the MO of the Jaguars in the past years has been they don't keep their players. They're good players. And Doug Peterson and Trent Baalke made a point on Tuesday to say that. But I don't want people to think that means, oh, they're obviously then going to keep Cam Robinson and DJ Chark. That's what they meant. Not necessarily. They said this starts right here, drafting good players, keeping them. But when I say that, everyone's like, oh, that must mean, you know, they're paying Cam Robinson. Well, not the case. I think they would like to. I mean, uh, you know, if it's the right price. Right. And it always Compromise. comes back to that. And people, oh, they're being – no. You've got to make sure that the value fits the player. I think they would like to pay Cam. It feels like there are guys they would like to pay. Does it fit what you want to do long term? And is the value there? Uh, it's negligent if the GM and personnel people don't take those things in any consideration and this regime certainly will yes it all seems to be a compromise and really a lot of it when we talk about wide receiver is on kind of dj chark's shoulders if he comes down on his price and says all right you know i'll play for 12 13 mm -hmm. whatever million okay deal done and you could see that happening but i totally see dj chark's side of you know i want to be wide receiver number one and i want to go test the waters to see if i can make that 20 million dollar contract that doesn't seem like he's going to get in jacksonville yeah, and I have no idea the numbers um, mm -hmm. because it, the franchise tag I think was close to almost twenty million dollars. Yeah, and he's not going to get that. Those are tough. Yeah, uh, it is truly a matter of if he had more production in Jacksonville, even with the people making the decisions, I think it would be an easier decision. For sure. It's also a matter of it's very easy to say, well, go test free agency. <coughs> Excuse me, and we will see how it goes, how the market bears. Problem is, realistically, once a player gets out there on free agency, mm -hmm. it's very rare for them to come back to the former team. 
just because there's a little bit of a chip. It, it's the ego. It creates yeah. some negative feelings. You're out there. You're being wowed by somebody else. I generally think once a player is out there, they don't come back. There's exceptions to that rule, but it's always a worry. Yes, I totally agree. And and your fear is that if you less, let them test the waters or if you let them walk, and it, you see it on a much smaller scale with Alan Lazard, who was on the Jaguars practice squad. The Jaguars let him go, and then he becomes a serious downfield threat in Green Bay. And, and everyone uses that example. How could you have let him outside your building? What if that's DJ Chark in two years? Right, Alan Robinson. Killing it for another and team. Alan Robinson's as good an example of that. Uh, that's a real danger with DJ. It is. It, it, because, again, I think his year five through eight will be better than his year one through four. Question is, does that mean that it's worth what he might bear on the open market? Fortunately, Shalyn, those decisions are way above my pay grade. Way, way, way. If I even have a pay grade. That, that, I, <laughs> I mean, think you do. Yeah. Okay. Especially here. You've done great work this week, I'll say. Uh, and you as well. Thank you. All right. So let fans know what else is coming up for you the rest of the week. Uh, rest wise. of the week um, will be more coverage. Uh, still sort of parsing through the uh, press conference from Tuesday. Mm -hmm. Also, I'm not sure that our uh, conversation with Charles Davis is run yet. Mm -hmm. um, that was very interesting. We talked to him yesterday. They should run on Jaguars.com. I'll be writing off that as well. And uh, next week, I should have an Ozone podcast with Tony Pauline, Ooh. who's been with Jaguars.com uh, working and talking to us for upwards of 20 years, and he's always one of the most interesting people to talk to in NFL circles. So I would uh, definitely watch for that. Yes, he's a very well-connected man. We also have that interview that we talked about with Doug Peterson in the interview room, all about that interview process. That's going to go up tonight on Jaguars.com. We have on-field workouts starting tonight. Of course, the hunt, our long-form series, all kinds of written content as well. It's been a long week, John. We've done a lot of great work, I'll say. We've done work. We have. <laughs> we it's been great. We absolutely have. And then next week, we're going to start on Drive Time and Happy Hour. We're going to start talking about free agency. We don't get much break around here. It comes up quick, and uh, the next two weeks, as you said, the future of a lot of different things, long-term and short-term, will go down in the next two weeks. I'm looking forward to it. I am, too. Entertaining stuff going on in Jacksonville as well as in Indy. Thank you for tuning in to our Combine coverage. Stay with us on Jaguars.com. Thanks for tuning in to Jaguars Happy Hour.